and get ready for this message. Let's, let's pray. Lord, we pray for our dear friends um, that are going through grief right now. We pray you would cover them, surround that family with your love and outpouring of uh, the love of Jesus, that they would know you deeply. Thank you, Father, for, as we get to minister to one another and we get to use our gifts that we're designed to do and, and care for one another. When we're broken, we come alongside and, and wrap our arms of love around them. And, and Father, when one's rejoicing, we rejoice right along with them. So Father, we celebrate you, a good and mighty Savior, Jesus Christ. And we love to sing praise to your name. And that's what we do with humble hearts, Lord. We, we're really nothing without your goodness and your mercy. Uh, may the love of Jesus flow through us as we extend it to one another and to this world that so desperately needs to know about uh, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so that's what we pray, that you would use us, Lord, to be your hands and feet. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and pull them out. Uh, we're going to be in Judges chapter 7 and 8 today as we continue on. Last week we talked a little bit about Gideon, and today we're going to kind of talk about Gideon as well. I think a lot of us um, love an underdog story. Anyone else love an underdog story? It just feels good. Um, you know, you can think of a lot of movies. There was a movie that came out this last fall, uh, the American underdog, Kurt Warner, and uh, his son played at K-State, so I got to see him a few times around the stadium. It was a pretty awesome story. This guy went from bagging groceries, believed he had some gifts for throwing a football, kept working at it, finally got, you know, in this indoor arena, and then he got picked up by the St. Louis Rams, went on to be a two-time Super Bowl champion, MVP, pretty amazing story. Maybe some of you like Karate Kid, you know, he wax on, wax off, kind of defended the village. You know, there's Rudy, right? He was too small, but he got on as a walk-on on Notre Dame, but he got to play a couple downs. Pretty awesome. I was watching actually last night with my son Ben, the movie Rocky. You know, anyone love the Rocky stories? Those are pretty good. But I'm going to tell you, uh, some of you know it's March, it's February, sorry, it's basketball season, okay? So some of you like good basketball story. I think the best underdog story ever made was 1983 National Championship. The North Carolina State um, uh, Wolfpack were known as the Cardiac Wolfpack. I'm just going to tell you briefly what happened. Okay, they went into the ACC tournament in the fourth seed, okay? But after battling through it, they won by all their three of their games by a total of 11 points, okay? And the, and the last one was decided by just one point. That's how they got into the tournament. Then when they got in the tournament, they faced a very low seed, um, which was Pepperdine, and they thought they would just, everybody thought they'd destroy them. But what happened is Pepperdine took them to two overtimes before they would finally win. Then they went on after that, they faced, you know, uh, some of these heavily favored UNLV teams and they thought, uh-uh, they're going to get blown out, but they actually won by a single point scored in the last minute. That's kind of where this idea of cardiac pack got, came from. Seven out of their last nine games, they trailed going into the last minute. Okay, so it's pretty incredible. And then it, somehow they hung around in the championship game when they were playing the, the, the most amazing team possibly ever, Houston Cougars. They would have two future NBA Hall of Famers on their team. But they were playing them. Houston had rolled every team in the tournament by double digits. So this was going to be a blowout. But somehow NC State stuck around. In the final minute, they had the ball with tied 44 seconds, and guess what takes place? 
a complete air ball, okay? But it was captured by Lorenzo Charles, who captured that air ball, we're talking like a foot short, and dunks it in at the last second. It was so amazing, but let me tell you how big of an upset it was. It was so big of an upset, we know, because they gave the MVP, the most valuable player, to a person on the Houston team, which lost, and that just never happens. And so, friend, I wanted to tell you that story because you might be tempted to think of Gideon today as an underdog story going up against the Midianites. But let me tell you, it is so far beyond any sports analogy could imagine, okay? This is no lesser team going up a really powerful team. You know, this is just an unbelievable story of, uh, you know, really what God did. And so what we're going to share, we're going to dive into this story. Last week, I just want to remind you, God, we saw God send the Midianites into the land to kind of work over the Israelites. But when Israel cried out to the Lord and to God in pain, he sends them a deliverer in the name of Gideon. And Gideon, as we explained last week, when we met Gideon, he was in a bunker down hiding. He was in the wine press, like throwing up wheat, you know, and so that was what he was doing. But in the fear, God says, I'm going to make you a mighty man of valor. That's what he calls him because God sees what he's making us into. Doesn't call us by where we're at. God doesn't call the brave. That's what we looked at last week. He makes those he calls brave. That's what God does. So, well, at the end of chapter six, God tells Gideon, hey, start a resistance against the Midianites, okay? And so he, he gets this, Gideon kind of gets worried about it, throws out the fleece, you guys remember? God, if you're really in this, make the fleece wet and the ground dry and then reverse it. He says, do it again. So that's where we pick up the story, okay? Chapter seven, verse one, we're gonna dive in. It says this, then Jerubbabel, which if you guys remember last week, the nickname that was given to Gideon was Baal Tail Whipper. Okay, so this is Baal Tail Whipper. And all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Herod. And the camp of Midian was north of them. Verse 2, the Lord said to Gideon, the Lord, uh, the people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand. Lest Israel boast over me saying, my own hand has saved me. I'm not going to dive into that statement, but I want you to know there is a lot there, okay? When basically they had 32,000 people there in this army, and he says they're too big because then they're going to think, you know what, we just overpowered them with our might, and he says they're going to take the credit for this, and God says, no, I need them to see that this is me carrying them here, so he's going to reduce their army. This is what he does in verse 3. It says, now therefore... Proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home. Hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remained. So he says, basically, everybody who's fearful right now in this battle, you guys just go on. Head home. Take off, okay? And I kind of wonder if that moment, if Gideon tried to leave, you're like, no, Gideon, you get back here. You're in this fight with us, Okay? But the thing is, I wonder if it was kind of a smart move, actually, because would you rather go into battle with 32,000 with the vast majority of them scared and worried and thinking, I don't want to be here, or 10,000 of your bravest, right? So I think he went into the battle, they said, with the 10,000. But this next part actually doesn't make sense, okay? Verse 4, and the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. 
take them down to the water, and there, every one of them who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set by himself off to the side. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink, set them off. Verse 6, and the number of those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouth, was 300 men. Because who else does that, right? You know, you're like, oh, okay. So 9,700 of them didn't do that. And the Lord said to Gideon, with those 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand and let all the others go home. He sends them home. So you're like, okay, what kind of symbolism is this, okay? Is this kind of God proving that, you know, God loves dogs more than cats? You know, I don't, that's not what he's saying, okay? I want you to know, this, that absolutely has no symbolism here, okay? It was a random test designed to get rid of 97% of the army, okay? So think about that. God intentionally weakened Gideon's army. And there we have a lot to learn. So I'm going to give you a number of points today. This is point number one. If you want to write these down, you can write them down. But this is point one. I want you to know when God wants to use you, he will often weaken us. That's what he does. I want you to know God never delights in hurting us, but he wants us to learn to trust him, to depend upon him. And that's probably the most important thing you can learn in life is to trust and lean on the Lord. So sometimes God reduces the size of our army so that we have almost no choice but to trust in the Lord. And so you say, well, I don't really have an army. Well, maybe, you know, what about your health? Maybe it's been, you know, suffering a little bit. What about your job? You're kind of struggling. It's not the right job. And and maybe God's reducing these things in your life. And and maybe, you know, he's just also going to use them. Whatever that hardship you're walking through right now, He might be trying to teach you something like you've never learned before, to lean on him. That's what he's calling all of us to lean on him. Let me tell you a statement. If if dependence is the objective, that we depend upon God, then actually weakness is an advantage. And if somebody would say, how could weakness ever be an advantage? Well, let me tell you, it's an advantage if it makes you lean on Jesus, where there is real power and real hope. That's an advantage. So let's say your spouse is no longer there for you. Well, let me tell you, you can rely upon your heavenly father who will never leave you nor forsake you. What about, you know, when you get laid off at work and you're like, where's my, you know, how am I going to provide for myself? Well, lean on the heavenly, heavenly supplier in the Lord. And maybe, you know, you feel alone and you feel like nobody's close to you anymore. Well, I'm telling you, friend, the, the Lord God will be closer than a friend to you. He will carry you. So weaknesses will cause us to lean upon God and they'll help you learn this. And maybe someone of you needs to write this down. I want you to know four words. God is always faithful. Do you know that? God is always faithful. And sometimes, yeah, we need to give, he is, he is a, he is a faithful God. And sometimes we go through hardships and we need to learn that he is using that to lean on him. This is how Paul says it in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. He says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. So yeah, boast on them. Like, yeah, I'm terrible at that. I can't do that. I fall short here. Why? So people can see the power of Christ in you. Because if you were boasting on yourself and everything that you could do, people would say, boy, I'd like to be like that. 
but they can't. They have to be who they are. We're all called to be who we are in Christ. But if you boast upon your weaknesses and they see the strength of Christ in you, they'll say, hey, I've got access to everything he's got access to. So we absolutely need to boast on our weaknesses and let it be seen that it's Christ's power reigning in our lives. Another verse I want to give you real quickly, 1 Peter 1.7. This is where it shows you, it says, it says that faith, which is your, your confidence in God's goodness and grace, faith is more precious than gold. So I don't know what battle you're going through today. Many of you walked in and you're in the middle of a battle. But here's what I know. This passage says that your greatest asset is faith in God's goodness. Faith in God's goodness. So I pray that you would be faithful in God. And that's who he calls us to be. So what keeps us from the riches of God's power? A lot of times when we feel like we have our own riches, you know what we feel like? Then we say, I don't need you, God. I've got my own. I can take care of myself. And one of the most important spiritual truths you could ever learn is that your strengths are more dangerous than your weaknesses because your strengths will start to keep you from really experiencing and hoping in God's mercy. And that's a dangerous place for us to be. So absolutely, sometimes we go through seasons of hardship, lean into the power of Jesus. Sometimes he's reducing your army. Maybe for some of you, you feel like your army's being reduced right now. Lean into Jesus. And, and when you experience that reduction in that army, I pray that you're open to the lessons that God may be sharing with you. I don't know, um, it, I may have shared this before, but it reminded me of a story of a bird that was flying south, okay? And the bird was late for the, the departure, got a late start. So as the bird was flying, it fell upon this really bad snowstorm. And the snowstorm started to freeze its wings. As soon as his wings were finally frozen, the bird crashed into the ground. And it thinks, okay, now I've got these frozen wings, I'm going to lay here and die, right? Well, all of a sudden, a cow comes along and dumps manure on the bird. And the bird thinks, okay, well, this is great. I'm frozen here. I'm going to die here being frozen. And I have manure all over me, right? Awesome, right? And, but then when the manure starts to warm up the wings, the bird realizes this is exciting. And the bird starts to flap its wings before it's free. And it starts to chirp out really loud, joyful sounds. I'm going to be free. But it gets the attention of a cat. And that cat says, I'll help you out and eats the bird. Okay, so the, the lessons we can learn from this is, you know, you're thinking there's lessons in that? Yes, there's lessons in that. Okay, first of all, not everybody that drops manure on you is your enemy, okay? And number two, not everyone who digs you out is your friend. You need to remember that sometimes. And the third lesson is when you're in manure and life is hard sometimes, sometimes it's best to keep your little chirper shut. You know, and not cry out and complain about it into the Lord because God might be wanting to do something amazing and powerful in your life. So we need to trust in him. So that's point number one. The second thing I want you to see is that sometimes I want you to know God would send salvation, but it doesn't come through human might. It comes through the weakness of being humble obedience. When we, in weakness, say, I will humbly obey you, Lord. 
And I've explained this before a couple weeks ago, but I just want you to get this. I, I, I have an accounting and economics degree. That's what I got from uh, my college. So in those business worlds, you like charts that go up, right? You like profits that go up. You like revenue that go up. You like supply of goods to go up. So that's what you like is charts to go up. But look what we have in the book of Judges. See how it works also in the kingdom of God. It says the book of Judges starts with Joshua, okay? A mighty warrior with a mighty army in Israel, and, and they're fighting the battles. Then we go to Ehud. We looked at a couple of weeks ago. A left-handed crippled leader, but God still uses him. Then we go to Deborah, a female judge who teams up with her, the heroine of the story, Jael, who is a housewife with a frying pan, okay? And then after that, we have Gideon, who now has an army of 300. Then we'll have Samson, who's going to fight all by himself. And then after the book of Judges, we have David, a scrawny little shepherd boy that's going to take down Goliath with a stone and a sling, Okay, so what does that show us? It shows us we're going from strength to weakness. And friends, that's how God saved us. He didn't come with a mighty warrior that came with a sword and says, I'll do battle and take them out. He came as a servant. He came as one in humility and following obedience to the Lord. We see this time and time again in Jesus' life. Before Jesus was convicted, what was he doing? Around the Lord's table, he was serving the disciples by washing their feet. He got down on his hands and feet and washed their feet. During his trial, what does he do? He gets mocked. He gets spit on. He gets made fun of. During, after the trial, when he's supposed to carry his cross, he's too weak to carry his cross. He actually has to have help carrying his cross. And then how does he die? He dies stretched out on a cross, nailed. That's the ultimate picture of weakness. And what does God do through that weakness? God brought resurrection. God brought new life and his grace, and he offers each one of us salvation through that. And what do we do? We humbly obey, and then God brings the power. So what do you do today? You keep sharing Christ wherever you're at. You also, you're parenting, you keep patiently parenting that child, your child. You also refuse to stop praying for any child that's walking away from the Lord. Don't give up on them. Keep praying for them that they will turn around and walk with the Lord. So I want you to see, now Gideon has, God's got Gideon's army down to size, where he's like, okay, we can work with those 300. Go to verse 9 in chapter 7. This is what it says. But that same night, the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hands. But if you're afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Pira, your servant. Go to verse 12. It says there, And the Midianites lay along the valley like locusts in abundance, and their camels were without number, and as the sand that is on the seashore in abundance. They're everywhere. This army's huge. Verse 13, when Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade. And he said, behold, I have dreamed a dream. And behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp and became to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned upside down so that the tent lay flat. Verse 14, and his comrade answered, this is no other than the sword of Gideon. God has given his hand Midian, Midian and uh, into his hand, Midian and all the camp. So don't miss this, okay? God, there's some humor here. 
He doesn't even give this guy a vision of like, um, like, a, like a spear or a hurricane or a massive boulder rolling down the hill. This is a biscuit, okay? It says a piece of bread tumbling down the hill. Uh, I don't know, some of you may be pretty bad at camping, but I'm telling you, you could probably set up a tent that could withstand a biscuit hitting it, okay? This biscuit rolls into it and overturns the tent and Gideon re- recognizes God is reassuring him of the victory. Verse 15 says this, as soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshiped and he returned to camp of Israel and said, arise for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hands. The third thing I want us to see from this story is that God patiently deals with our faltering faith. Even when we fail in our faith, I find this, I hope you do too, I find this really comforting. The story shows that God takes such time and patience to reassure Gideon. A lot of times we have a picture of God saying, you know what, if you don't have absolute confidence in me, you might as well just walk away from me. But that's not what we see here in this story. There's a a ton of patience. Mark chapter 9 verse 22 tells about a man who had a son that was very sick. And he comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, if you are able to do something, have pity. And, you know, a lot of us would think, well, if you did this, if you knew me better, right? But instead, all Jesus responds, he says, everything is possible for those who believe. At that point, that man's response says, I believe, help my unbelief. And you'd probably think, oh, Jesus would tell us, okay, go memorize my scripture. Come back to me when you're all in with me. But Jesus' response to that man, he just heals the boy. So Jesus is absolutely, he's incredibly patient with us. And I find that very encouraging. So if you have doubts, I want you to know it's okay. And if you have questions, I want you to ask God to reveal his faithfulness to you. And he will reveal his faithfulness to you. Uh, So the fourth point I want to give you this morning is that at some point, here's the deal. You have to take a risk. You have to get involved in the game. You know, we think about this scene. Gideon is absolutely afraid, and God is trying to reassure him. So God tells him, you know what? Go deep into the Midianite camp, and there you're going to overhear some people speaking in a dream. Go deep into the Midianite camp? They will kill me. I mean, if you could imagine, Gideon's probably thinking, Lord, why don't we do it over here in my camp? And I, you know that blanket where I threw out that fleece last time? Lord, I'm going to throw out the fleece again. And I'm going to close my eyes. I'm going to count to 10. And you just turned it into one of those swans, like, in a, like a towel in, on a cruise ship. Just turned it into one of those. And when I open it, I'll know. Let's go with that. But no, he sends him into this camp, you know, where he, what's the, the, the point here? What's the lesson in this? Is that God will patiently deliver your faith. But at some point, he requires you to take a step of faith on your own. And, and it, here's what God does. He says, I'll reveal a little bit, and then you take a step. I'll reveal a little bit more, and you take a step. You know, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So it lights up a little bit. What do we want? We want a spotlight. Lord, can you turn on your spotlight and show us the end, right? I want to see how this thing ends is what we want. But God develops our faith by inviting us to take our own step of faith. And so we have to. Another, you know, bird analogy, because you guys love those already. Um, 
How do birds teach their, their young ones to fly? They push them out of the nest, right? And you can just imagine being the, the baby bird, okay? You just got pushed out and you're like, what? Why is this happening? You know, what, how am I going to learn to fly? They don't push the bird out for at any certain time. They know when it's ready to fly. The mom's seen it build up its strength and knows when it's ready. That's when it flies. So that's what God does with us. We draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And so God develops our faith and we have to take a step of faith in it. And so I want you to see um, that. We're going to continue on. So what happens here is there's Three different, he, he divides them up into three groups of a hundred. He says, hundred of you go over here, hundred of you back there, and a hundred of you over here. And, and, and he doesn't, he says, don't take any swords. He says, I'm going to give you three things. He, he gives them a, a trumpet, a jar, and a torch. And he says, you're going to light your torch and put it in the jar. And then you're going to line the valley wall. So they're down in a valley. They've got this 300 spread out, lined out. And when we go and when I blow my trumpet, each of you are going to blow your trumpet and smash your jar and raise your torch. So go to verse 19 of chapter 7. This is what it says. At the beginning of the middle watch, when they had just set the watch, then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the jars. They held in their left hand the torches, in their right hand they blow the trumpets, and they cried out, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Verse 21, every man stood in his place around the camp and all the army ran. They cried out and fled. Verse 22, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army. So here's how this worked. A torch signified that there is a whole battalion behind me, okay? So he places them around the valley. So that torch says, there is a whole thousands of men back behind these torches. Smashing a jar would have sounded like hundreds, if not thousands of swords being raised. Okay. So in the dark, this would not have seemed like 300 men. This would have seemed like tens of thousands of men being there. So another key is when they did it. It says they did it at the beginning of the middle watch. So here's what the middle watch is happening. A third of the army has been out on watch all day. They're coming into camp. A third of the camp is uh, the army is waking up to go out on watch. So they're kind of exhausted, waking up, going out on camp. A third of them are dead asleep. So what happens is this bunch of soldiers are coming in. They see the torches and the lights flash up and they think, oh, we're being attacked. That's our enemy attacking us. So what do they do? They turn and kill each other, every one of them, the end. And they all live happily ever after, except for the Midianites, of course. Okay, but here's the amazing thing. The Israelites do not lose one person, okay? Which leads me to the, the fifth lesson I want to give you is God can turn weakness into uh, itself, into courage. That's what he does, into strength. And so something really cool here. God never explained to Gideon how I want you to do this battle. He, he used his own fearful brain on that one, okay? God's reduction of Gideon's army, though, forced him to come up with a new plan. His old plan would have said, let's overwhelm them with all of our soldiers. My new plan is like, we got to make them think that there's a whole bunch of people here. And guess what? The new plan was better. It was more victorious, not a single Israelite casualty. 
So Gideon's weakness absolutely turned into a strength here. And the last point I want to give you this morning is what we see in Gideon that could probably summarize his entire life is join Jesus wherever he is. Friend, wherever Jesus is, you join him. Because let me tell you, this story sums it up better than anything, that it's better to be with Jesus in the most impossible situations, all alone against a mighty army, than to have a massive army on your side without Jesus. So be with Jesus wherever it is. Christians that grow in maturity recognize that it's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus does it all. And he's done it all for us on the cross. And I would love to put a period right there in Gideon's life, and, but unfortunately I can't. Okay, Gideon's story does not end well. At the end of his life, he seems to get very proud and built up. The power, the success starts to go to his head. He starts reading his own kind of news articles and his look how good he's doing. And he starts to get his own personal vendettas. And so then some of the built... Uh, these idols, uh, these commemorating some of his victories and the people of Israel start to worship these idols. But that's for next week, okay? You're going to have to come back for that. But right now, I just wanted you to see the dangers of us. A lot of Christians often make it through adversity. It's when we get to prosperity, we start to fail. And that can be very, very dangerous for us. So I hope you've grasped a little bit of uh, some uh, power of what God's doing here in the story of Gideon. Would you pray with me? Let's go to the Lord. Lord, uh, we just uh, cry out to you. You are a good God. And you, uh, we, Father, we, I pray that we would depend upon you and see your strength and that you would give us courage, even in, that our weaknesses are, are celebrating your strength, Lord. And may you, maybe you're trying to get our attention today. Maybe you've been trying to reduce our army a little bit. And Father, may we depend more upon you. And Father, may you use us to draw us close to you and maybe even wake us up today. And Father, I pray that when you bring those moments of weakness, that we, we would recognize that you are our security and Jesus is our security. And you are the one that's our ever faithful companion. And Lord, I pray that we'd see that it's your righteousness, your justification, your glory. Father, you're the one that lifts our head in broken seasons. So Father, we cry out to you. You are an awesome, amazing God. And Father, we thank you for your goodness and your mercy. And Father, may we rest in you and find strength in you. And may we boast in our weaknesses because it uh, it really brings up and shows the power of Jesus in our lives. That's what we pray for. So may we trust in you. You are so good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hear the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Have a blessed week.